a guy was throwing a his 70th birthday for himself and he hired 20 of us. And that was just fun because like we all knew each other and it was just like a big party, barely an orgy. Cause he's like one guy, like you can only do so much at once. Um, oh my God. So he's the only guy with 20 women. I was the only client. Welcome to Try Babies, the podcast where we're not afraid to be seen trying and crying. You're joined by Sunroom co-founders Michelle Battersby, that's me, and Lucy Mort, that's me. We help build the world's largest dating apps, Bumble and Hinge. Now we're in the thick of building our own tech company and we're bringing you along for the wild ride. Each week you'll hear from us as we fill you in on the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to business, career, relationships and everything in between. We'll tackle burning audience questions and be joined by inspiring creators, female business leaders, and the people who have motivated and energized us along the way. These won't be your typical shiny business stories. We want to showcase the experiences that go unsaid and definitely chat about the moments that don't make it onto Instagram. Prepare to hear about the lows, the failures, the doubt, and the downright nightmare days. Navigating life through your 20s and 30s can be hard, which is why we're so passionate about creating a space for you to come to on the days you need to feel seen, inspired, educated, supported, and sometimes shocked into action. This is honestly the podcast we both needed throughout our journeys. Marla, also known as Fembratal, is a content creator and sex worker living in New York City. Today's episode will take you into Marla's world, how she discovered the industry, her client experiences, and of course, the private side of life she shares on Sunroom. This is one juicy episode. Let's get into it. We are back for another episode of Try Babies. And I'm very excited about this one this week because we are interviewing Marla, who is a creator of ours on Sunroom. She's one of our OGs. She joined, I think, maybe the second month we were live or maybe even the month that we launched Sunroom and has been with us ever since. And yeah, she leads a fascinating life and we're going to learn more and and dig in. So welcome, Marla. Thank you. I actually didn't know I joined that early. I thought I like stumbled across. I knew it was like early days, but I didn't realize it was like first or second month. So that's cool. Yeah. You are one of our OGs. So yeah, it'd be awesome if you could tell me like more about who you are. Well, my name is Marla Wink um, and (laughs) I do escorting in the US. I've been doing it for, oh my God, ever. Um, Full-time like as Marla for about 10 years, minus that little global blip that happened <laughs> besides that. Uh, yeah. And I found Sunroom uh, because I was actually looking towards like, I was looking for screen protection, as you notice, not showing my full face. And that's one of my key content features on my Sunroom account is that I will show my face because of the incredible, excellent protection tech that you guys have. You can't do screenshotting, screen recording, like any workarounds. It's, it's amazing. And I got a pretty face. So it's kind of, kind of exactly what I was looking for. I really just stumbled into my life at the perfect time. I love that. It was like a, a really surprising, and I guess, unexpected use of Sunroom. And I think it's really cool that you reveal your face on our platform and that, and that's the only place that you do it. I'm curious, did you have a dream job when you were younger, just to dial back a few years? So this is on my blog, my personal website, and it's 100% true. I've never wanted a job. I sort of always pictured myself this just like elusive lady in the city. Like the image, the aesthetic was very distinct. There were plush white carpeting, which has since evolved. 
but I was just like in some penthouse in New York city. And there was just like some man who was there who I didn't, wasn't really my husband. And that was just sort of always how I saw my life. So, um, no, I never wanted to work. Work seemed terrible. I do not dream of labor as, as the wonderful, was it Arthur Kitt who said that? <laughs> I mean, that's incredible that you knew early on that you, yeah, you had this vision. It's almost a calling, not quite, but like, it, like once it like fell into it, I remember being in high school and being like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do porn, but just not like porny porn. Just like didn't occur to me because there's such a stigma and like a distinct idea of what like sex work is and really it's just this (laughs) yeah so how did you initially get into sex work like what yeah what was the journey into that world yeah so I was in college living with like uh high school bestie we were theater kids and I remember we were watching the HBO show Cat House which was about the Vegas brothels and we're just like mesmerized by all the money these women were making we're like oh my gosh we're so much cuter and then this was back in the Craigslist days where erotic services was a thing. And she went on and like found the world of erotic massage, which there's actually many worlds of that. But this was like, you get a hotel room and a burner phone and just sort of cross your fingers and hope for the best. And she's like, I could do that. And I was like, I could do that. So we started doing it together called four-handed massages. We're basically just do like nude, terrible massages with like jerk off happy endings and that was it. We just bought like a Walmart burner phone and got like really shitty. Like, I mean, like the double tree was when we were like splurging and she eventually left that. And I continued on. I tried stripping for like a hot minute. That's so much hustle. I do not have that hustle. And then found, I joined an agency for a while in my home city and that was a great experience. Actually, I worked for a woman. She was awesome and great. I probably stayed in it longer than I should have just because like once I discovered the world of independent companionship, I realized how much more money you could make. And uh, yeah, just went went from there. It's like running your own small business and I love it. Wow. That's incredible. With an agency, like what is the structure? Like what is the fee structure and, and how you work with an agency? At the time, and I honestly don't think it's that much different, but um, at the time it was the grandfathered in clients would pay $260 an hour and the new clients would pay $300 an hour. She would get $60. And then if I had a driver, he would get $60. For a while, I actually had the girl who I started doing the massages with as my driver, which was like so much more fun because they didn't really provide like security or anything. And in retrospect, I realized there wasn't much screening that went on. It was just like she had a phone number and was well-established and people just sort of behaved, I mean, I don't know, just because they didn't want to be kicked out of the club. So yeah, so that was the fee structure and it seemed great at the time. I mean, my hourly is a bit higher now, Um, but I don't know. I remember walking away with, so like the least I would walk away with is what? So it's 260, 60, 140 for an hour. And I was like, that's great. That's amazing. That's a 12 hour shift waiting tables. I don't know, like. Right. Yeah. When you put it like that, is there anything like, what did you have to consider when you started to do work independently? Like, did you have to find your own drivers and like figure out a vetting system or yeah. What did you consider? I had to figure out. Yeah. So the, we call it screening the vetting system where it's like basically verifying if the per- like who the person is, if they're safe and cool to meet. I just did a lot of reverse engineering. This was back in like 2000, I think pre- 2007, I think it was 
It was either pre or just post recession, but there was still a lot of the they're called HDHs, high dollar hookers, um, back in the day who had like really launched the first like huge wave of like expensive online with like your own website sort of escorting thing. There's like a whole other world of like way more expensive, but this is sort of like high end regular working class escort, what we're talking about here. So I would look at their websites and just sort of see some of the like badges on there. Like there was a lot of like link exchanges either with each other or with certain websites that were like advertising venues, screening services. I got my first sex worker CPA and lawyer kind of doing that. So just sort of like looking at what was out there and how people were operating. Um, I didn't do a lot of networking at first. I was nervous and shy and just like all the legal implications kind of wasn't sure if people, if there even was a community really. It turns out there was, thank God. <laughs> but yeah, so that's sort of just how it happened. And then I just, I loved the branding of it. I always have like picking my name and designing the website and the, I hate doing the photo shoots, but I like planning them and sort of executing them. Um, yeah, all that jazz. And the writing, I love the copywriting, big writer. Yeah. I mean, you have an incredible personal brand across like multiple platforms. And yeah, your, your bank of photography is wild <laughs> and seemingly <laughs> unlimited. I'm curious, what, what do you love about the work that you do? I genuinely love meeting the mostly men, not at all, but um, the clients that I meet. I think I have been able to curate my brand um, enough where I really attract what I'm attracted to and what works for me. And I just meet people who I would never, ever, ever meet in any other circumstance. I certainly have like my fun, wild stories of like people of certain notoriety and things like that, which is really like, oh my gosh, remember when I used to see some member of the aristocracy, like crazy. <laughs> um, but for the most part, it's just like, I don't know, it's just, it's getting paid to date. It's super fun. I happen to be like a very, I'm very orgasmic and I can sort of enjoy myself with anyone. And I think this work has made me like really lose a lot of the superficiality. I can really be like, learn to be attracted to the energy. Not that I'm necessarily even like jive with everyone I meet, but um, there is a performance involved to some extent with some of the people, but I don't know. I really just get paid to be me and that's great. Yeah. Oh, I have so many, so many questions. Has there, have there ever been moments where like you really haven't been performing and it's felt like very, very real? From, All the time. From your I've never fallen for a client. I've grown to love clients like as people, friends, whatever, but I've never like caught feels. I don't know if it's just because I don't really know why my therapist just says that I'm good at compartmentalization. So good. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, more and more. And like the longer I've done it, the more it's just like, like I had a first date last night, which was like a four hour dinner date. And I got to pick the restaurant and went and he got the best bottle of champagne. And I'm like, I'm a sassy brat. I mean, like the Femme Bretel had handle that I've been using the past few years was um, one in part to a rebranding out of necessity, which we can talk about later. But also I just thought it was like, like I am kind of like, I'm a sweet brat, but like, I'm like, I tell, like I say that I'm like a professional house cat. Like I want attention and to be given sausage of milk, but also maybe to ignore you and just be like worshiped from afar a little bit. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty authentic. I say that I am like the best polished version of myself with my clients most of the time. But then I have clients who I've known for like six plus years and it's like, 
they've seen me at pretty close to my worst. So yeah. Talk me through the rebranding. Like how did you used to brand yourself? Why did you feel the desire to do a rebrand? So Marla was the first independent brand that I did and I had to kill her full name and scrub it from the internet because I had a border issue. I went, I was going to a country, it's only like one of four that they really monitor this, but, um, and I got denied entry. They had my website printed at the board at the border. So much of tech is just like, once you're doing anything, they just know if they decide to drill down. I think I probably got flagged for like smuggling because of how often I was going and for like such short durations. And then like, once they dug into it, they're like, oh, it's this. So I actually got a one-year ban, not like um, a lifetime ban, which can happen for some people, especially coming to the US. But um, yeah, so that happened. So at first I was just sort of like, fuck it. And (laughs) I was just like, I don't care. Like I was already out to everyone in my personal life anyways. And that was like the one thing I was like kind of trying to hide from. But then when the pandemic happened, which was shortly sort of after, I was like, you know what, like, this is like a good time to sort of just like remove a lot of my presence from the internet and like change my social media, just like scrubbed a lot of my images. And yeah, just use that to sort of be like a little more like, I don't want to be Googleable, really. I had great SEO before, and I just decided that I wanted to be a little more, we call it under the radar. Technically, under the radar is, like, just word of mouth, no web presence. But um, just wanted to, like, kind of limit it a little bit, make it a little more exclusive. Yeah, totally. Can you talk me through the process of coming out to your friends and family? Yeah, um, I, oh, it's been so long. I mean, I started the massage work like 10 years ago and then the agency work not too long after that and then like there was some like ebb and flow before I went like full-time into it I remember telling like my high school friends when I was sort of drunk one night I was like guys I'm an escort and they were like yeah that makes sense for you (laughs) (laughs) kind of like how I was saying earlier like it just always sort of like fit like no one that I've told has been like what? Um, I mean, a couple dating can be tricky, but the last family member I told was actually my brother because he's a little more conservative than the rest of us. Uh, and he had children and his wife is super cool, but I was just like, I just don't know. And I finally came out to them and it was so funny. My sister, I love her so much, was like, we're swingers. Like everyone, there's always a disclosure whenever I come out to someone and like they share their weird thing. And I, my brother was like, I don't want her to know that. And she's like, oh, that was great. So, uh, oh, wait, that's I don't know. Amazing. It, yeah. It generally goes like that. I've had like a couple of people be like, I have friends and they have like, you know, usually wives or girlfriends or something. Sometimes like they get a little nervous. Um, I've had, I got outed to someone I was dating who I had not told because he was just like an on again, off again, fuck boy. It wasn't like we'd never real relationship. So I just didn't want to do that because I knew I was going to react. And it was poorly, not violently or anything, but just like, I don't blame him. Like I've been lying to him for years. So, but I don't know, like it trimmed, it's trimmed some fat, like sort of like blessing in disguise kind of thing in that way. Like I was like, if you're not going to accept this part of my life, then you probably shouldn't be in it anyways. Yeah. At what point when you're dating someone, do you have this conversation? It depends. Uh, so I live in New York, which spoils me to a degree because it's kind of no big deal here. Slash like a lot of my friends are in the industry or I'm also non-monogamous and I've kind of 
always been since high school, even before I had the language. So it's a little bit easier in that way. And like, I'm queer. So like, as long as it's not like a straight dude, I usually tell someone like, if it's not a cishet man, I tell them day one usually. And it's usually pretty organic. And if it's another like woman or femme or non like they're usually like, oh yeah, like I did sugar daddy things for like a hot minute or something. Like a lot of people have actually like dabbled in some version of this world. And then if it's like just a dude, um, I like to feel it out a little bit, but usually by date three, I know I like them enough where I want it to like keep going. I'm just, I'm not going to hide it, but I might like tease it a little bit. Like, well, I used to do that and just like see what that reaction is first, something like that. I also was married and I met my husband at a sex party. So like when we went out for a date afterwards, it seemed pretty easy to be like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Changing direction a little bit. How did you find your way to Sunroom? I found it through um, Clementine Ford. I used to, I followed her on Instagram and she joined her platform and must have posted about it or was promoting it or something. I was like, oh, what's that? And I just looked at it and then I saw the privacy, like the tech that you guys had. I was like, that's literally what I was like trying to hire someone to like, oh my gosh, this already exists. Fantastic. And I saw that it was like, there were not a lot of people on there yet, but like, I just thought maybe that's who you were showcasing. Like I said, I didn't actually know how, I knew it was early days. I just didn't know how early it was. Yeah, totally. And why hadn't you set up a profile and used OnlyFans prior to that? Yeah, I never used OnlyFans. Um, I think partially because of the potential for, it's so easy to leak from there. Um, I do have colleagues who've done OnlyFans who don't show their face and just don't show it on OnlyFans either. It also didn't feel like it meshed with my brand. I've been trying to get away from brand and just being like, what aligns with who I am? It just like, didn't feel as cute. I don't know. Sunroom's so pretty. Like, I love that it's pretty and like, I never joined it. And I don't know. It feels like that's like some weird reverse cloud. Marla, what's the most challenging part of the work that you do? Emotional labor, for sure. Navigating boundaries. I'm super good at boundaries, but not everyone's super good at receiving them. (laughs) Um, Mm. I just got, I just like terminated a very long-term relationship with a client this year. He wildly overstepped. I lost my dad this year and he like looked up the obituary and was like, try. it was just like weird and gross. And I was like, how dare you insert yourself like during this time of grief in my life. Because it, it is, it's tough. I mean, they fall in love with you a lot and I often love them back in, in my way. So it's this, it's transactional, but there's authentic feelings. And then it's almost always a complete secret for them. So like, they're just like, you know, a lot of them won't even tell their therapists if the few of them that are in therapy. So it, it's a lot for them to process. So therefore I have to process it with them. And that is definitely the most onerous part of the work by far. I had one client who I, until I stopped seeing him, I had known him longer than like my husband even. Yeah. I mean, some some of these guys are like my longest relationships, period. (laughs) That's wild. What's one of your craziest stories from on the job? Mm, It's so hard. I mean, like some come to mind immediately but this is not tech protected. So I can't necessarily spill certain tea here. Uh, I had 
okay, I'm just going to tell the story without the name, but probably everyone can figure it out because he told on himself. Okay. Um, I had a client sign to my DMs, like A-list actor guy who was very messy. I mean, he gave me his real phone number and all these things, um, just giving a lot of detail about his kinks and stuff, just like on Instagram DMs very easily could have taken it to TMZ, but didn't because that's not what I do. He and I were not aligned in that. I'm more like top dot me. And he um, is a self-described sadist. Um, and I was like, but you know, like maybe I can introduce you to some like professional submissives that I know, like there's room here. And like, honestly, I would love access to like your A-list circle. <laughs> That'd be great. And then yeah, he, I was not the only person he was DMing and he had a huge scandal after the fact that it all came out, you know, that he was like fantasized about eating people and stuff like that. If we want a little hint about who it was. Wow. That up. Um, yeah. And so, but he's such a babe too. He was, he's really sweet to me though. I mean, like these were all just like, I think he was reaching out to probably non-professionals who didn't understand that like a lot of this is just fantasy things. Um, and he was also fucking messy, but like when you get to a certain level of fame and money, and of course he's like the son of a, you know, emerald miner in South Africa or something too, you just, you think you're untouchable. So for that reason, I don't usually go that high. I won't see like politicians are a hard line for me. Um, I mentioned a member of the aristocracy. I did do that once just cause like, I really wanted that on my bank statement, seeing that wire come through. That was fun. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess those are some of my like flashier wild stories. Um, another good one is a guy was throwing a his 70th birthday for himself and he hired 20 of us. And that was just fun because like we all knew each other and it was just like a big party, barely an orgy. Cause he's like one guy, like you can only do so much at once. Um, oh my goodness. So he's the only guy with 20 women. I was the only client. Like I've done groups, things are like semi-common, you know, threesomes, huge, sometimes foursomes and things like that. I've actually brought my ex-husband in as like a, like a male partner for like, and we'll, we'll see couples a lot. That's like really fun, but 20 people in one, like you could have three people paying attention to it. The rest and the rest of us are just like sitting on the couch, drinking, like taking a bath and just goofing around. Like, I don't know. That was, I was just, and it was for two hours, which is like, of course it was. Cause that was like a more than $20,000, two hours for him. But it's also like, I don't even think he like talked to everyone. <laughs> That's <laughs> wild. He just had a playboy mansion fantasy. You needed to live out. <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a good one. <laughs> Um, what are some of the misconceptions that people have about sex work and, and why do you think they have them? There's so many. It's hard to <laughs> choose. It's also hard for me to, because like, it's so normalized for me. I like forget that some people think that it's like all sort of like street work, which is very legitimate work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like new clients, for example, like if they're brand, brand new, like, oh, like, you know, please dress discreetly when you come to the hotel. It's like, no, I was going to wear like bright pink fishnet bodysuit with a sign that says hooker. Like, I don't know. Like, there's just, um, I guess that like, we can't have relationships. That's a big one. Um, like, oh, how do you, like uh, when I would tell, I would occasionally tell clients that I was married and it was almost always a problem because they like, even though they almost always are they just have this fantasy about you. But like, there was this one client in particular who just like, he lost his mind, not an angry, he just like kind of literally couldn't believe it. He was like, what, how, how is like, how can you do that? I was like, 
I don't know, you go to fucking Big Sur and get married. Like, what do you, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, there's both like the stigma and the fantasy. And like, both of them are very dehumanizing in a way. Like the objectification, which is like, can be like worshipful and profitable, but then also like, you know, sex workers are still considered not a real person in police reports. So. Mm. Yeah. What did your husband think of your work? And was that like ever challenging in any way? Never. I mean, he was a special bird. Um, <laughs> it was never a problem, but he just, he had been in non-monogamous relationships for a while. He had known, never dated sex workers, but knew people in sex work activism he was just already kind of familiar with it. And I think it turned him on a little bit. Not, I never felt fetishized by him, um, which is also another thing. Like, I don't want to be with anyone who's like too turned on by it, but he, it, it wasn't like the sex work that he turned on, but he loved that. I was just like out living my best life and like happy and just like being this like free, sexy, independent woman, like that very much turned on. It was, it was more of like the dominant sort of energy, I think um, yeah. in the work, but no, I mean, all of our shit was super fucking boring. Like you loaded the dishwasher wrong kind of stuff. Like we never, ever thought about sex, work, money. Yeah, he's a he's a good one. He set the bars. And I'm like, hmm. Because before him, I had relationships and work was a problem. It was really hard. Sometimes there'd be rules, like how many appointments I could take a week, things like that. It really like hurt my bottom line when I was younger and could have been like traveling and touring more investing more. Mm. Yeah, it can, it can definitely be really tough, but you know, I also know other people who have partners who are super supportive. A lot of girls turn their boyfriends into their assistants, which is funny. They'll be like their photographer or like secretly do their emails. They're really the one like messaging the clients. So funny. Um, I'm too much of a control freak for that, but. (laughs) Marla, how much are you making on your sunroom at the moment? I think I'm making like 4,000 a month. I looked like just like what the past like 30 days thing was. And it was like 3,800 or something like that. I'll be honest. I like really need to like put more energy into it. And like, I think I could really kill it if I did. But um, I would say my biggest money makers on Sunroom though are like thin subs, which is so fun. I'll just send them like a picture of a receipt and be like, send me money to cover this. And they're like, yes, of course. Screen. <laughs> <laughs> for people who are interested in getting into this sort of work, sex work, escorting, um, what advice would you have for them? I don't know. I'm such like an old, I'm such a grandma on this. Like a lot, like I'm mama ho to a lot of girls. Like I'm not really, I'm honestly not as up to speed on a lot of the things that are as relevant now to like get started to be successful. Like social media is such a huge part of it now. You have to live on Twitter. Uh, I don't. but networking is huge, but nobody wants to meet. It it is hard. It's gatekept a little bit just because again, of like mostly the the legal status and the stigma and you never know, like there's a lot of like guardedness, I guess I would say just like, yeah, maybe fought like find people who seem to be like sort of influencers within our community, um, have a big following and just kind of see who they're interacting with, read their websites, kind of do what I do and just like reverse engineer it a little bit there's books. There there are books. And I mean, back in the day, I used to read blogs, but out there sort of about, they're more like memoir based, but you can kind of get some educational information from it as well. And then figure out sort of what your brand would be. And then it's also not a bad idea. I mean, a lot of girl, only fan girls, people who started in OnlyFans turned to in-person sex work because 
it's sort of a, you're like, oh yeah, this is easier. <laughs> um, and a lot more money, a lot more ROI. So I think also with like, sorry, I'm a little ADD today. With like online dating, it's it's not that different. Like if you're on swipes and talking to people and meeting up that way, like you figure out, particularly as a woman, like how do I feel safe meeting this person in public? And like, what information do I need? As a sex worker, you I am going to have their name their copy of their driver's license and email from their work account. Like there is a paper trail that will assure, you know, at least some mutual destruction agreements in case they get out of line. So. Totally. Have you ever had to like follow that paper trail and like pull someone into line that involves like other people? No. Okay. Uh, I have always said I would rather say no to a good thing than yes to a bad thing. So I'm sure I've missed out on people who like intuitively, I was like, no, you're probably who you say you are. I know you're probably okay to meet. But if you don't follow my protocol, I'm like, you know, lucky enough to be in a financial position where I can just be like, well, then no, sorry. And no, I think people really don't want, (laughs) I want somebody to have something to lose. I'll also say no to someone like if they, are self-employed and don't have a wife. And um, like, if there's just like not enough for them, like it seems like to lose, I'll just be like, no, no, it's not good enough for me. That's fascinating. Like you look for accountability structures in their life. I kind of think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, What's one experience you wish you could take back in the work that you've done? I wish I could take back the trip that got me banned from that country. (laughs) but in like a more strategic sense, I would have been more selective. I have a a great community of people. um, And I think that's very important. I do think I would have been a little more select and am now a little more selective about some of the relationships I built, maybe not cast my net so wide, preserving my energy for maybe more people who are like-minded and aligned. There, There can also be a lot of cattiness. There's a lot of competitiveness. There's a lot of mentally unwell people. Um, and so it's sort of walking that line. So I think I'm a pretty guarded person with that kind of stuff. Like I said, like err on the side of caution, but I do think I probably would have reeled it in a little bit even more in some of my earlier days. I also definitely would have started doing independent work a lot sooner. Oh my God. That was, I mean, like loved the woman who ran the agency, but like, making 10x now. Come on. <laughs> That's wild. And what's what's been the best day on the job? Favorite experience, memory? Getting flown to Japan was great. I really always wanted to go to Japan. So getting flown first class and I mean, like truly we, we went to, he had to go to Hong Kong. So I went to Hong Kong for business trip and he just knew I wanted to go to Japan. So we went to Japan for a couple of days and then he left and I stayed for a few weeks. And that was, I mean, I just don't think that would have happened otherwise. Um, so that was great. That's incredible. Oh. Uh, so as we wrap up this interview, we like to ask a spicy question at the end, which like in the context of the questions we've asked in the conversation we've had, like, you know, might not be that spicy, relatively speaking. But I am curious, uh, would you ever be in a throuple? Yeah, I would. I'm like very much want to be the favorite. It's so funny. Like for as little jealousy as my husband had, like I can get jealous <laughs> um, or possessive. But yeah, I would be in a throuple so long as like I was the favorite. 
I mean, I would love to be in a throuple if they were both just like super in love with me and like, you know, liked each other and got along. Yeah. <laughs> but you were the cent- you were the center of the throuple. Oh, a hundred percent. That's actually I talk about needing to have like two husbands or two wives or one of each all the time. Like that would be that'd be lovely. <laughs> like a healthy balance sense. Like, well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mala, thank you so much for joining us and opening up about the work you do, the life that you lead. It's been awesome getting to know you more. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. A quick ask if you enjoyed listening, it would mean the world if you could jump on Spotify or Apple and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. We need to build that army so we can read what you loved and what you want to hear more of. We're so grateful to have such an incredible community of empowered, motivated and confident women supporting each other here to go after their dreams. That's what we've needed most throughout our journey. You can subscribe so you don't miss our episodes or head over to our Try Babies podcast Facebook group and Try Babies Insta where we can connect with you more and ask us questions that you want answered in the show. See you on the next episode of Try Babies.